All right, as the boys and girls are taking off, why don't you grab your Bibles? I'm not going to tell you where to turn yet. A couple of uh, one announcement to make, I should say. Um, we wanted to, we just put this out this in the middle of the week by uh, social media. We want to announce it officially in church this morning uh, that we're excited to welcome uh, Ben and Danielle DeLong and their kids, Caleb and Macy, to our church. They're not here yet. Uh, but they came, I don't remember a couple weeks ago, Ben led worship and his wife and kids were here. And uh, we've been searching for a part-time worship leader slash pastor uh, to oversee all worship ends of things as far as music and not just with the adults, us, but the kids as well on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and uh, to develop more uh, music ministry with our children uh, as well as a few other odds and end things as we often find. And... Uh, Ben and Danielle, who have, and you'll hear more about them in the future, but beginning March 1st, uh, Ben will start being here, and, and during the month of March, he's going to be here every other week, and then uh, beginning April, then you'll see him here every Sunday, and uh, as he helps our church lead worship. I know some of you saw that on Facebook and social media, and you posted back, and, and thank you for making him feel welcome that, that direction. Uh, continue that, please. And in a couple of weeks, we'll officially welcome him here uh, to our church, and we're excited about that. Um, I love what our worship team uh, has and does, and I'm excited about Ben being a part of that team and continuing to lead us, and uh, we will just definitely give God praise. So if you have a chance, make sure you give a little shout out to Ben and his family. He uh, posted this, I thought it was a pretty fun picture of him and his family all bundled up in there. They must have been outside playing in the snow. All four of them looking into the camera, and it said, hello, church family, True North, uh, and it was sort of a nice little welcome from there into us, so. Anyway, we're, we're so uh, thankful to God for that. With that being said, let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word. Okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. A God who helps us in times of trouble and need. A God who helps direct our paths. A God who helps settle us when our lives seem very unsettled. Lord, we just pray right now as we look into your Word, we find truth. And Lord, we don't twist it. We don't angle it our way to manipulate anything that's going on in our lives, but to truly see what your words are saying. Lord, we pray that for your spirit to move here this morning and for our, our hearts to be open to you. Clear our minds, Lord, of any kind of distractions that might be going on now, things that we've had to deal with this week. Lord, may you hold captive our thoughts this morning. Thank you again, Lord, for who you are what you're doing in our lives, and what you're about to do this morning. In the name we pray, amen. You know, not to answer a question that somebody had, and somebody's like, well, can you talk to us about this? And, and, um, and you know, we really want to know the life of a salmon and uh, how salmon swim upstream. Now, that question wasn't posed to me, but I'm going to answer it because it sort of helps, I think, illustrate something I want to go with. So for those of you with inquiring minds, Want to know about salmon and why they swim upstream and downstream and all that kind of stuff? Let me fill you in a little bit, okay? I don't know if you know what they have, but they have a very active and amazing life cycle. Okay? Different than any other thing we know about in the world of God created with animals and fish and insects. <clears throat> but it begins when they're hatched from eggs, as it does with most animals and eggs and, or fish. But it begins in these gravel streams, in the beds of gravel streams where these eggs are hatched far upstream away from any ocean, okay? And what happens is for some time they grow there. They learn to catch food. They learn to avoid predators. 
Uh, they fiercely guard their territory and they imprint their scent on their area. And that's where the salmon live. Now, when they reach a certain point in their life cycle, though, they grow, they begin to migrate downstream closer to inlets and bays, right? where they adapt to salt water, their scales, their whole body begins to develop even more and adjust to the salt water. And when large enough, they migrate into the ocean where they spend about half their life. They increase in size and maturity and mingle with other salmon. And then they begin a long migration back to their place of birth. So from the ocean, then they head back into the inlet. They start going back upstream, back up that river against the rocks, against the flow, against all kinds of rapids, against predators, whether it's a bear or a man fishing, whatever it may be, uh, they have to go up waterfalls. Okay? Their bodies now have to acclimate back to fresh water. Now they begin to starve, they become exhausted, and this whole process, while persevering, working hard to get back to their birthplace. They take a beating, but eventually they spawn, they give birth, and then they die. That's the life of salmon. It costs all they have to go against the flow to reproduce to start new life. Now, what does that have to do with us and this morning service and so forth and so on? I was thinking about this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we can somewhat relate because here's the deal. We're all born in sin. We're all born in sin. And in that place of sin, we acclimate to our surroundings until basically some point in time, as we float down the river of life, it hits us. We surrender our lives to God. We find out there's a God who loves us. We find out that our sin has separated us from a holy God. And at that point in time, we surrender to the truth found in God's Word. We place our faith in God, and then this incredible spiritual transformation takes place. And as we are changing, we realize we need to get back to a place to share God's truth with other people, to sort of give that new birth to others. Now, of course, that doesn't do anything with us except for the process of telling others, okay? So, we begin a new life which places us against the flow of this world, against the standards of this world, against the cultural acceptance of this world. And it's spiritually hazardous as we fight upstream life to share new life with others. Now, here's the deal. For salmon, wouldn't it be so much easier that as they, as they begin their life and go downstream and head into the ocean and all these other salmon, wouldn't it be just so much easier if they just stayed there and mingled with all the other salmon and not battle upstream and all the changes, all the hazards and the predators and everything else they have to face? Wouldn't it be much easier if they just stayed in the ocean with everybody else and lived there? That would be easy, right? And wouldn't it be so much easier for us as Christians if we would just sort of just blend in with the world and the culture? And just sort of say, well, that's the way everybody else is doing it. It'd be so much easier if we just did what everybody else did and not try to go back upstream against this culture. That'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? Well, but we can't. And why is that? Because that's not our mission. Let me hear you say that's not our mission. <clears throat> Look at the person next to you and say, that's not our mission. <clears throat> Excuse me. We don't blend. We don't migrate to live like everybody else. We don't get saturated into one culture and say, hey, this is all great. It's so easy. That's not our mission. Jesus didn't come into this world 
to seek and save the lost and make them to be like the rest of the world. That didn't, that's, not, that's not his mission. Okay. So we plan to spend the next month discovering and dis- discussing something I would, I guess I would call this hot topics. Okay? Now, I, for lack of better words or, or better thought or whatever you want to call it, um, as we prayerfully search God's word, and we're going to hit topics on abortion, homosexuality, we're going to talk about what's going on in social media, uh, as well as entertainment and how that all jumps. I'm going to tell you right now, um, when we start to do that, it's like stirring a hornet's nest. Because you're going to have people that are going to get really mad and really frustrated. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but sometimes some of you, and I've seen these, you'll post something on Facebook and you just sort of say, hey, I don't agree with what's going on. Next thing you know, you got about 20 comments. People just jumping down your throat because you just, oh, you just said something that was, no, you're a hater. You're a person hater because you said that about somebody. And it's like, well, all I said was I didn't think it's right for, you know, finish a sentence. What the Bible says about all of these issues uh, is going to stir some things up. We're talking about jumping into a very fast current river right now and swimming upstream. That's what this is going to be like. And, uh, And I was thinking about this. When we start opening up God's Word and say, God, there's a lot of issues going on right now in this world culturally. They don't seem right for me as a Christian to believe this. So I need to know, God, what do you say? So when we open up, we're going to say, okay, I want you to turn to Romans. We're going to talk about what it says. And when we open up and do that, guess what's going to happen? As soon as you open up God's Word and see what God has to say about it, there's going to be multiple things that could happen. You're going to have a little bit of fear come in. You're going to have a little boldness come in. You're going to have this courage and strength. And then you have this buckling of the knees like, but I don't know. And we're going to be, sort of be all over the place emotionally. So we're going to have to make sure that spiritually our base is solid in God's Word. And here's the deal. Just like the salmon, in the process of getting upstream, okay, there's all kinds of hazards and predators. For us as Christians, as we believe God's Word and live out God's Word and take our stand on God's Word, there are predators that are going to knock you off your feet. And there's going to be some hazardous moments in a way. And a sure way to get people upset and mad is to stand up for something that is true, that we know is morally, scripturally, positioned strong. We, we sit there and we say, this is so true. I'm going to stand. As soon as you do that, guess what? You're going to make people angry. You will make people angry. And this, guess what happens? Anger tends to grab fear by the hand. As Pastor Dan was saying, anger grabs fear by the hand, and they walk down your street and knock on your door, and they interrupt your life. Because now you've got all kinds of emotions coming at you. So before we dive into these topics, like I said, next week we're going to dive into topic number one. Okay? I'll give you a forewarning. You can check out your emails this week as to what we're going to be talking about. But we need to set a few ground rules before we're doing that concerning our hearts and concerning the reaction to truth, concerning our relation to this world and those who oppose what we believe. Okay? But let's get one thing straight right off the top of the bat. Let's get one thing straight. Okay? People are not the enemy. Everybody understand that? Your neighbor, your co-worker, somebody who has a different belief about what you believe, they are not your enemy. They are not your enemy. We have one opponent, one enemy. His name is Satan. And we know what his agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you, okay? Let's make sure that's clear. Everybody else, unfortunately, has been influenced by him throughout years, and uh, they may feel like an enemy to you, but they are not. So let's get that set, set up right away, okay? 
So let's do this. Let's turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. In your Bible, is the middle of the Bible, the middle of the Old Testament, basically. Psalm 56. And as you are turning there, Psalm 56. Let me give you a little background on this psalm. <clears throat> this is during a time in which David had fled from King Saul. If you remember, David was supposed to be king. He's going to be the king. He's been anointed. He's going to become king. However, Saul, who's the current king, dislikes David, hates David, wants David dead. He's chasing David. So David flees for his life, even though he's supposed to be the king. Okay. So as he's fleeing for his life, he's thinking, where can I go? So he runs to Gath. Okay. If you don't know anything about Gath, Gath is in the Philistine territory. If you remember when David fought Goliath, it was the Israelites versus the Philistines. Philistines hated the Israelites and vice versa. So here's David, supposed to be king of Israel, running into Philistine territory to the city of Gath. Gath is Goliath's hometown. Okay? So if you are the hero of your city, and you're looked up to, and you're a nine-foot man of a giant, okay, and you've got a sword bigger than anybody else's sword, and then you are slain by this little pipsqueak, 12, 13-year-old kid. And that sword comes back to the city of Gath, and it's there. It's like, oh, our beloved champion's dead. And years pass, and your hatred grows even more towards the Israelites. And then all of a sudden comes walking into town. David. He killed our champion. He, that, David. Oh, remember the songs we heard? Saul is slain as thousands, but David is ten thousands. You know the ten thousands are talking about who was slain? Philistines. Songs were sung about how David killed Philistines. Here comes David coming into Gath. Everybody follow me on this one? Okay. Is David crazy or what? Why would you go into enemy territory, the place that probably hates you the most out of all places? Either it's pride or desperation. Well, he flees from Gath then, obviously. He gets into Gath, tries to make that a little homestay, finds out he's not welcome at all. Hello? Okay. I believe it's desperation. He's running from Saul. He runs to his worst enemy, finds out that everybody hates him, and he runs off to the caves of Adullam. There's in those caves there where he finds different people who also felt the same way with David, rejected alone. Next thing you know, he has 400 elite warriors with him. And from there, we have some other great stories that continue on. But let me back up. From the point that before David got to those caves and met those men, and when he left Gath, just a little time period in there of running to, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. So desperate right now, so alone, so hurting, so lacking confidence. This is when David writes Psalm 56. Okay? So you can imagine as we read this, this is where David's at, Psalm 56. Um, it's one of those things when uh, you know you're right, you know God exists, yet every, the opposition's so loud and so alone, defeated, what's going on. Matter of fact, I'd be, we're going to stay at Psalm 56. I want to read something to you first before I read that. 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 11 and 12. says this. When David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish from, of Gath, his officers weren't happy about David being there, and they said, isn't David, this David the king of the land? They asked, isn't he the, the one that people who honor with dances and singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? 
David heard these comments and was afraid of what the king might do to him. I shared this story with you, but I wanted to read that verse to you because you know, sometimes like, okay, well, how do we know he felt that way? Because it's recorded. Okay. So in fear, defeat, and loneliness, he runs off to a cave and he pens this, and let's read it. Psalm chapter 56, verse 1. Oh God, have mercy on me. The enemy troops press in on me. My foes attack me all day long. My slanders hound me constantly. And many are boldly attacking me. Let me stop right there. I'm going to skip a couple of verses. We'll go down to verse 5. They're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting ways to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness in your anger, O oh God. Throw them to the ground. And when you read these first two verses, then five, six, and seven, you get a feeling that the pressure is not only high, but it's constant. And David is simply overwhelmed, not just by the issue of pursuit, but by the constant attack of his aggressors. If you look at verse one, he says, my foes are attacking me, what? All day long. Look at verse two, as he say, I'm constantly hounded. Verse 5, they're always twisting. They spend their days plotting to harm me. As you look through the scripture and you find these words, you get this feeling it wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't like, oh, I hate it when that happened today. It's like, no, it's always happening. I feel like I never get the break. I feel like they're always on my back. I feel like people are just constantly saying one thing after another about me. It's just a continual pursuit on my life. There's a fear now for physical attack, but even more so, not just fear of physical attack, but the points of slander. Did you hear what he say? About his words being twisted? What's being said about him? Words of gossip? Social media, I'm telling you. Sometimes we think physical beatings are bad, but I think things that get said about us, when people talk behind our backs, or they post something out there and they say something, I think sometimes that hurts more than a physical beating. You don't visibly see the bruises, but your heart feels the blows. And we know what it's like when something is said about us to other people and it hurts. It seems that when we, you know, when we preach or talk or discuss the sins of this world, then it seems like we're made out to be the, the haters and the bad guys. So even as Christians, when we come up and we say, well, this issue, I'm really struggling with this, and we say something, all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, you're a hater. You're one of those Christians. And all of a sudden they get very uh, blasting with you verbally. It's like, I didn't, I didn't mean this. And the next thing you know, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? They are, and they start spreading this about you. Like, but I didn't, I didn't, that's not what I meant. How are we supposed to feel when the world's way seems so wrong, so evil, so persuasive? How do we feel about that? I think we feel the way David might have felt. I think we feel alone sometimes. Maybe desperate for truth and to, to prove our points and say, I, I don't want to sound prideful. What I'm just saying is this lifestyle isn't good. And you're trying to explain that. And you come across maybe prideful even though you're not prideful. And the people are just coming from one side to the other attacking you the way you were because you feel like you're just being misjudged. And so you're like, I don't, I'm not going to say anything. I'm tired of being misjudged and mistreated and abused for what I'm trying to explain. And I'm going to say something here about this. I, you know, I, I'm guilty of this in a sense. When I believe that I'm right, okay, about a certain subject, a certain topic, and, and I'm misjudged because here's what happened. 
So the first person who approaches me, okay, because let's, let's say I've had a talk with Steve here, okay, we're talking about something that I feel is right or wrong, and we, we disagree, and then I sort of feel like I'm being misjudged for something. So then I sort of bring up my emotions inside, say, but I know I'm right because I've, I've read this before, and I, I know what's laying on my heart and all this kind of stuff, okay? And then along comes Nate, and Nate starts to talk to me about the same subject, but because I'm so heated inside about what we just talked about, Nate isn't attacking me, but he comes in and says something, and all of a sudden, what do I do? I attack back because my emotions were so escalated in my prior conversations. Does that make sense? So I un, un, not un, I say I unintentionally unleash upon Nate. Didn't mean to. Sorry, Nate. But because I was so fired up, they they get my venomous strike. That happens, I believe, as Christians. We feel so alone, so desperate, so fearful, so frustrated, like everybody's misjudging me. And so the first time somebody actually comes to me and just wants to talk about something, oh, I just explode on them. It's like, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to do that. How do we do this? We've got to be careful that our emotions don't trump our trust in God. Let me say that again. We've got to be careful that we don't let our emotions trump our trust in God. Make sure that our trust in God is daily before us, reminding us that, listen, we're not the saviors. Jesus is the only savior. I say that because I believe as we've grown in our society and we have more tools in front of us to use and as people become more independent and as we become more verbal, check out what happens. Our independence and our ability now to place our opinion basically puts us into a spotlight in which we have filled this empowerment now to voice our opinion about everything, disregarding the fact there's actually absolute authority about the subject, okay, that we're talking about. But my opinion now is now being blasted out there. Now, I do this through social media. Let me tell everybody how. Uh, I'm going to tweet something out there what I believe. I'm going to Facebook post something. I'm going to text message. I'm going to, I'm going to put something out there about my opinion on what I believe. Now, here's the problem. We forget that our opinion needs to be put in place of subject to a higher authority. It needs to be brought under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's just my opinion. But for some reason now, because I'm feeling very independent and I can have opportunity to voice my opinion, all of a sudden, opinions are now overruling authority. So when you see debates on TV and you see arguments and you see people getting into it, what do we see? We see an emotional outburst of opinions flying all over the place and people really upset. But we forgot our opinion needs to be brought under the authority of God's Word. What happens is God's word is coming down here and our opinion's up here. Does that make sense? You follow me on this? It's just my opinion. I believe this is what's going on. And the problem is, God's word is never changing. God's word is authoritative. God's word is powerful and majestic. Our opinion is just that, our opinion. We've got to be careful when we talk. You know, here's the thing, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that a lot of you have blogs and Facebook posts and tweets, okay? 
But let me share something with you. I, I say this with love. Okay? Now hold a mirror up and look at myself and say the same thing. Just because I have a blog, a Facebook post, or a tweet doesn't mean I'm right. It's my opinion. Now if I'm posting truth, so be it. But sometimes when we look at people, did you see what they posted? Did you see what that blog was all about? Did you see a tweet? We take that as scripture truth. Well, it was out there, so it's got to be true, right? That was an opinion. Unless they referenced something from the scriptures, which is true. Again, I'm saying this because this is what's going to happen. As we talk about abortion, as we talk about homosexuality, as we talk about things that are going on in the world culturally, this is what's going to happen. If we do not make this our basis of authority, we're going to be just throwing opinions out on Sunday morning. I want to make sure that I'm not throwing opinions your way. I want to make sure I'm throwing scripture your way, truth. Chad's going to preach here, uh, and, he's, and he's going to be doing the same thing. He's going to preach in truth. Okay. And we will be on a very slippery slope. Okay? I have a picture here up on a very slippery slope. Okay? This is what happens. When we start believing in, in our opinions, okay? When we believe in our opinions rather than on truth, oh, you have no footing for what goes on. And it gets worse. Give me another picture. Because, you know, if you start looking, you can find a lot of good pictures, okay? I sort of laugh at this, but I can't laugh anymore because my wife fell this week, okay? So she slipped on ice, and uh, that's not good. So let's move away from that, and let's go that way, okay? I'm telling you, if ducks can't even hold footing on ice, neither can we, right? Okay. So here's the deal. I want you to keep this up here, okay, for a second, because what happens when people start slipping and sliding? We should know this, right? This past January and February, we've seen snow plows and salt trucks and everything get out there. Because this is what happens. Oh, there's a winter storm coming. Boom. Fear escalates, right? Okay, then the snow comes, the, the, the ice comes. And it is tre treacherous out there. We just got to be a little bit more careful. But we know that winter causes us fear then. We drive slower. We are cautious in a lot of things. We cancel this. We, we postpone this. We delay that. And that's okay because we're being very cautious. Okay? But what else do we do? We also throw salt out on that ice to melt the ice, to give us a firm footing, okay? So we bring out the trucks, we bring out the shovels, we bring out the bags, and we just start throwing salt everywhere. Because without that salt, what's going to happen? We're going to slide all over the place, right? So this is what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to take that down. We're going to throw salt out this morning. Before we head into these hot topics, which could be icy, slippery topics, okay? We're gonna throw some salt down. Here's our basis. As we go into everything that we're gonna talk about, we're gonna salt it, okay? Let me hear you say salt. Let me hear you say, let's throw some salt. Okay, let's throw some salt. Here we go. Uh, look at actually Psalm 56, verse 13. Psalm 56, verse 13. For you rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. This is where I'm getting my salt idea, okay? As I was reading scripture and studying, I'm reading this. You've kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O oh God, in your life-giving light. You know what life-giving light is? That's called direction. God, what should I believe? Where should I go with this? I'm not sure. Where should I go? God says, I've got the life-giving light. It's going to show you where to go. And I want, here's the deal, though. I want to keep your feet from slipping. 
Look at verse 13. You've kept, David's saying this, Lord, you've kept my feet from slipping. There's so many times I could just wipe out. I, I could believe something and it's going to take my feet out from under me. But now I, I can walk in your presence. Think about this. To walk in the presence of God, to walk with God, for him to give you direction. That's what we're asking for. That's what we need as we talk about these hot topics. To walk with the presence of God, to walk in the life-giving direction, to honor him and not let our feet slip out because we allowed our opinions to get higher than his authority. Amen? Okay. So let's, let's break this down. What is salt? What is salt? Let me see what the next slide is. Um, there we go. Let's break this down. S is going to stand for Savior. So if you like the acronym, let's run with it, okay? If you don't, then just look up the scripture and follow with me, okay? Here's the first thing about to remember salt. Salt is we need to remember that we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Look at how verse 13 started. You've rescued me from death. Who? God. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be what? Our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah. Listen, until you realize you're dying, you don't know what it means to be living. Until you've been rescued, you don't know how to be thankful. Have you ever been stranded alongside the road? Have you ever been laying down and hurt? You know, I'll never forget, uh, it was a few years ago when my went out, and I was just, I was on the ground, I couldn't get up. I'd work my way over to the couch and sort of push myself. I couldn't go anywhere. Jenny was gone. Called it up. Mark and Ron came over. I mean, they're like coming to the rescue. I remember there's moments in your life when you need rescuing. That was one of my moments. We have moments in life when we need rescuing. And here's the thing. Until you know what it's like to have to be rescued, you don't know what it means to have a Savior. But here's the thing. Each and every one of us have been saved from the clutches of hell. We should know what it means to have a Savior. So we should know what it means to be thankful. Psalm 33, 19 says this. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in time of famine. God rescues in famine. Remember last week the story of Samaria that was surrounded and besieged? God took care of them, didn't he? He then brought them out of that famine. Do you remember the story of Joseph who was tossed into a pit by his brothers? left for dead, sold to slavery, falsely accused, put in prison multiple times, 20 plus years probably of a wretched life. Finally, he's put second in command because he was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh and say there's a famine coming. Let me tell you how it's going to go down and how we can keep this from wiping us out. And then his brothers return after all that time. Oh, he could have gotten great revenge on them, right? But what did he do? He did what they didn't do. He rescued them. And they were very thankful. But how did that all happen? Because God made it happen. He set it up so that he could be a savior to his brothers, which really gave us a picture of Jesus being a savior to us. It's a beautiful picture. Psalm 86, 13 says this, For your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. He is our Savior. Here's the first thing. As we approach every subject we approach from here out, let's start with this. We're needing a rescue, okay? And we've got a Savior. It starts with understanding who He is. He's our Savior. That's who God is, okay? Look at the next one is all-powerful. The A stands for all-powerful. Verse 9 says this. If you look at Psalm 56, verse 9. On the very day I call to you for help, 
my enemies will retreat. This I know, God is on my side. Look at the person next to you and say, God's on my side. Man, isn't that good? Isn't that good to know God's on your side? Because so many times, we don't feel like it. Oh, kids that are in here, wouldn't you like to play Red Rover with God on your side? Oh, yeah, we'll send God right over. He's on my side. He's going to bust through your line and bring back more people with him. For those of you don't remember the game Red Rover, just ask a kid someday. you got to remember that. It's a great game, okay? Oh, dodgeball with God on your side? Oh, really? Kickball with God on your side? Oh, living life with God on your side. You got him. How big is your God? How powerful is your God? Our God. Our God is big. Our God is powerful. Back in the book of Joshua, there's a story about when Joshua sent the spies to spy the, the city of Jericho. And they came across Rahab the prostitute. And Rahab brought them uh, into her, her uh, part of the, her house and hid them up on the roof so that they couldn't be found. And before she helped them escape, she had a little conversation with the spies. And um, it goes like this. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Listen to this, verse 11. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heaven above and the earth. Do you hear that? Your God is the supreme God, the ultimate God. That was an unbeliever talking to a bunch of men who were called the children of God. You've got the supreme God on your side. People of True North brothers and sisters do you know our all powerful God next time you're struggling just sit back and say what's going on I serve an all powerful God who is my savior who rescues me you know what else about our God is this he's loving that's what the L stands for loving verse 8 look at verse 8 you keep track of all my sorrows you've collected all my tears in your bottle you've recorded each one in your book that great verse. Look up Psalm 139, verse 3, sometime. It talks about when God is with you. Think about this. When you're driving or riding, if you don't have a license, when you're studying, when you're working, when you're alone on the couch, you're reading a good book or bad book, when you're watching TV, a movie, when you're cooking, when you're cleaning, when you're crying in your bed, guess what? God knows. God knows. Let me hear you say God knows. God knows all of this, and yet God loves you. Every day God sends us a Valentine to remind us of his love for us. I know some of you don't get into Valentines, and some of you love Valentines. Let me tell you this. The greatest Valentine ever given to you was given through God's Son, Jesus Christ. He loves us so much. He reminds us through Scripture. 
if you look around, they'll remind you some more. Put some pictures up here. Just some, I, I mean, I'm looking across, just these are uh, natural scenes. These are not like, okay, did you take a picture and change them up? No, you sort of look, find uh, God's love everywhere if you look around. You can see his, uh, his beauty, his passion for us, crying out in nature, saying, I love you. I love you. Whether it's a plant, whether it's an island, whatever it may be, God is sitting there saying, I love you. Okay? Let's go to the next letter. Next letter is T in salt, and that is trustworthy. Verses 3 and 4 say this, When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Verse 11, same, same chapter. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? It's repeating verse 4, right? Because when he believes it, he's going to repeat it. When it's true, it's going to be shouted even louder. God is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You know, I'll never forget um, when I went caving many years ago, and a lot of you heard the caving story, so I won't go into great detail. But when I went down to West Virginia, and I went in with Mike and the rest of the youth group and some of our youth leaders, my brother, and we went into this cave, went in one side of the mountain, came out the other side of the mountain. Uh, it took us, um, I can't remember now, four hours, basically, to go a mile under the earth through these caves, through tight spots, through places where we knew there was uh, basically nothing below us. We had to sort of jump over a little area uh, through a spot which was called Infinity Crawl. Some of you remember that. Basically, it was 11 inches uh, that we crawled on our belly for 45 minutes going through that and just shimming along, looking that way, and then trying to move our head and look that way and seeing even more trails going every which direction and thinking, I hope we're on the right trail. Um, getting to a spot where we had a river flowing fast, which we had to go through waist deep as we moved through this cave and working our way through and our guide yelling, don't lose a person in front of you. And we got done with all of that, that caving trip and bottom line was, as I was fearful and a few times, as I should have been, uh, going through that cave, I look back and my times of doubt, my times of fear, my times of, am I going to make it? <laughs> God, if I get out of here, I promise uh, I'll do anything for you. I made one of those when I was in the cave, okay? And I had a couple. I love my wife. I hope to see her again. I had a couple of those. Um, but as I thought about it, prayed about it, I sat there and go, how do I know I'm going to get through this? I, I'm going to tell you how I got through it. Because I trusted my guide. See, Mike was a good friend of mine, and I trusted him. He'd been through it before. He'd been through that cave multiple times. So I trusted Mike. Now, let me ask you this. If we trust God to save us from sin, if we trust God to save us from the ultimate worst thing, which is called eternity in hell and separation from God. If we trust God for that, do you think he's worthy to trust? And am I going to get that job or not? Are my kids going to be okay? Today's a long day. Am I going to make it through today, God? If I can trust God to save me from the clutches of sin and hell, do you think God's big enough that I can trust him over here too? Absolutely. 
because I trusted Mike to get me through there because I know he'd been through there before. And, and I knew he wouldn't take me to a place that I'd get hurt. And I knew he wouldn't take me to a place and leave me. That's what my God's like. That's what your God is like. He would not take you to a place and leave you alone. He would not take you to a place to, to fail. He would not take you into a place and leave you all by yourself and feel crushed and alone. No. Our God goes with us. God is our Savior. He's all-powerful. He is loving. He is trustworthy. He is our salt. He's the one that keeps our feet from slipping out from under us. He is our salt. Now, with that being said, as we move forward into the next few weeks, we've got to throw the salt down every Sunday when we walk in here. God, you're my Savior. You're all-powerful. I know you love me. I trust you. So as we dig into your scripture and look at this subject, I want to learn truth. I want to know how to go out. Because when I leave this place and somebody says, hey, so uh, what do you believe about such and such? Well, I'm not going to tell you my opinion. I'm going to tell you what God's word says. And I trust God's word. Because he is my Savior, who's all-powerful, who's loving and trustworthy. So I'm running on that one. I don't have to worry about slipping. I can run on it because the salt's been thrown down and I have my grip. I have my stance. Let me tell you what happens when we do this. You know what happens when we throw salt on from heaven down on this icy world? Look at verse 10, 12, and 13. Oh God, I praise your word. Yes, Lord, I praise your word. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you've rescued me from death. You've kept my feet from slipping. Now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. See, this is what happens when we throw down the salt. This is when we say, hey, he's my Savior. He's all-powerful. He's loving. He's trustworthy. Here's what we get. We get, I tried to come up with an acronym for this, but it didn't work. Okay? Because this is where the acronym came out. Okay? Because we get this praise, Okay? Look at verse 10. I praise for what he's promised. That's awesome. That's praise, okay? And then in verse 12, I will fulfill my, my vows to you. That's obedience. And then he says, and then I have an offer of sacrifice of thanks. That's thanksgiving. So I had praise. I had obedience. I had thanksgiving. And I got an acronym, and I got what? Pot. Yeah, that wasn't good. So it's like, that sort of messed it all up. So I can't throw that one out there. Okay, another word for praise. Joyful, joyful. Another word for thanksgiving. Um, gratitude. Okay, we can jog. And I thought, nobody likes that either. So how about we just let God's word go on this and forget the acronym, okay? Praise. Joy. Obedience. Thankfulness. Gratitude. That's what we get when we throw down the salt. It's an incredible thing. David had a reason to celebration. Psalm 116, 8-9 says this. He has saved me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. My brothers and sisters, would you please stand with me? Worship team, would you please come forward? As we are swimming upstream in this world, we're going to feel alone. We may even question what we're doing. And I think it seems so much easier if we just swam in the direction of everybody else. Let's just believe what everybody else believes and do what everybody else does and say what everybody else says. And let's just, let's just join them all, right? That'd be so easy. Matter of fact, that's what all the other fish are doing. They seem to be enjoying it. They seem to be benefiting from it. But that's not us. That's not us. As we read God's Word and we take a stand, 
I want to challenge you, encourage you, what David said here in Psalm 116. So I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. We can do this. We can walk in God's presence as we're here on earth. But let's make sure that He is our authority, that He's our Savior, all-powerful, loving, and trustworthy. Let's throw that out there. Let's walk with us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, that you are all-powerful. Lord, I, I know there's times when uh, I would like to rise up and try to flex a muscle and scare people into believing what is right or wrong. And I try to convince people that, yeah, listen to this. Lord, forgive me for me trying to be the manipulator of people's hearts. Lord, instead, help us as your children to throw the salt out there. You are a Savior. You are all-powerful and loving and trustworthy. Because of these things, we can find joy and praise. We can walk in obedience, with gratitude and thanksgiving. What a way to walk not worrying about our feet slipping out from under us. Lord, as we do this, as we go upstream in this world culturally, we know, Lord, that we're going to be opposed. Lord, help us to stand strong. Help us to be loving to others as we take this good news into this world that needs it. Lord, as we sing to you now, we ask that your spirit just continue to move in our hearts. If there's something, Lord, that we need to confess to you, Lord, let us confess it. If there's something we need to shout of praise to you, let us praise you. And Lord, if we know that there's somebody here in this room right now that we felt maybe, I need to go say hi to them. I need to go to the other word of encouragement. Lord, help us to be obedient to your spirit, to be an encouragement to someone in this room today. We love you, Lord, and thank you again for this time we have in worshiping you through scripture. And let's worship you through song. In the name we pray.